Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be Christ-centered. What is a Christ-centered posture? Now, how many of you grew up in a church community? Just so I can get a feel for, for who's in the room. You grew up in church, all right? How many of you did not grow up in church or you were like kind of like church adjacent? Like you knew people who went to church or something like that, right? Uh, and that could be anything. It could be a Catholic background, evangelical background, other Protestant denominations, anything. Okay, so we've got kind of a mix in the room. Um, so, so this statement, Christ-centered, it's really churchy language. So I apologize up front if you're just like, what does this mean? Um, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So uh, what I want to invite you into is just suspend your definition for a little bit, because I want to talk a little bit about how Jesus starts talking about Christ-centered in Acts chapter 1. But before we get there, I just want to frame how we're going to talk about being Christ-centered this, this way. I, I know, how many of you are football fans? The boring American kind of football, not the good European kind or South American kind. The, 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 how many of you are American football fans? Not that many. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised. Usually it's like, yeah, football. Everyone loves football. A handful football fans? What are we, what, what, are, what are football fans around here? Jets? Giants? Giants. Anyone else? Eagles. Local high school. There's a, there's a grandma of the, of the player on the team. College. What? Inter-Miami. Yeah, that's the good football. We're, we're, that's the other football. We'll talk about that another time. Okay, how, how many of you have ever played fantasy football, though? No, we don't have any. Dana, you've played fantasy football? You're the last person I expected in this room to play fantasy. Not, I don't mean that in a bad way. Okay, I'm genuinely, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm impressed, and now you're hooked. But anyway, fantasy football, do you know someone who's really into fantasy football? Do you know people, coworkers, friends? Like women, men, it doesn't matter. People get into fantasy football. It gets intense. It gets really competitive. Um, people who play fantasy football are committed. They start thinking about their plan for the season before the season started. They're in preseason just like those NFL teams are. They're Okay, here's who's looking good this year. Who had a really great end to the season? Who am I looking for? Who's doing really great in preseason? It's in, in, I almost said spring training. That's my, like, that's baseball for me. But who's, who's in their summer training, their preseason? They're looking good. They're ready to go. You know people like this. They're analyzing it. They're listening to the podcast. They're paying. They actually pay money to people like ESPN and The Athletic to get special insider coverage for their fantasy team. They are really committed to this. You're like, I'm afraid to admit that this is me now. No, no, that's okay. Uh, so... So they'll look up the stats. They, they have a draft together with their league where everyone will like block out a weekend sometimes. And, and they are in. They, are, they have centered their world on fantasy football. Did you know the average draft, I looked this up, the average draft uh, is about two to four hours. Two to four hours. And you're like, okay, that's not bad. You do that once and then you kind of move on. It gets better. They're spending endless hours after their draft, tinkering with their team, preparing for the season to start. And then I read this statistic. A survey found that the average, the average fantasy football player, 
spends seven hours during their work hours each week, seven hours per week while at work, working on their team. So basically, can you imagine telling your boss, hey, I'm only doing like a four-day work week because I need that other day to prepare my team for the weekend. Can you imagine telling your boss that? But that's literally what people do. That's the average player. The average player is so focused and centered and oriented in their life around fantasy football that they spend seven hours during their 40-hour-ish work week working on their team. That's, that's commitment. That's dedication. Now, I just described here a set of behaviors that depicts what it looks like to be fantasy football-centered in your life. Notice, it's not someone who says in their head, yeah, I love fantasy football. Their behavior tells you they love fantasy football. They have given everything to fantasy football. And you're like, you are super weird. Not you, Diana, of course, other, other people. You, you, you don't do it, you, you're not doing that anymore. Not that you'll admit anyway. <laughs> um, so, so if you did not behave in this way, if you just dabbled in fantasy football, you really couldn't say that like, your, your life was centered on fantasy football because you, if you're committed to it, you give time, you give resources, you give thought life, you're, you're changing your behavior, your, the way you use your resources, the way you think about everything to funnel it into being a part of fantasy football. This is what it means to live a life centered on fantasy football. And in order to do that, that means you have to decenter other things in your life, like work, like that pesky job's getting in the way of setting up my team for the weekend. The average, I still can't get over that statistic, the average player is spending that much time, not to mention those that are really good at it. It's amazing. Now, here, that's why I wanted to frame it that way, because I, I want to say this. Our call as a church, as the plant church, is to be a community that is Christ-centered. Now, for those of you, the reason I asked if you grew up with a church background is a lot of times that language of Christ-centered gets put up there as a statement that we say, yes, we believe in being Christ-centered. But I want you to think about being Christ-centered as reorienting a set of behaviors and postures like those people really committed to fantasy football. You can see that they are fantasy football centered. You can see that someone from the plant church is Christ centered because their behavior, their practices, the way they orient their life actually displays this. Are you with me so far? So, so we ask and we, we, we think about, okay, what does this mean? How, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we live this out? We're going to be a people, not just individuals. We're going to be a people living out a set of behaviors centered on the reality that Jesus is Lord. It's like, won't that make us weird? Fantasy football people look weird too. Anyone who gets really obsessed and centered and focused in their life on anything, people are like, you probably are giving too much time to that. You should be a little more balanced. Enough with balance. Let's throw everything in. So, so to be a community like that, this is what we're talking about, to be Christ-centered. And we want to be a church, a community together that lives out 
in our practice, in our behavior, in our posture, being Christ-centered in this way, that Jesus is Lord of every aspect of our life. But here, here's what's hard about that. A lot of us have a lot of uh, different things that we enjoy centering our lives on. I have things sometimes that I would prefer to center my life on besides Jesus. Uh, it, it's just really helpful. By the way, you, you, can, you don't have to be religious about this or spiritual and be like, no, 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 I center my life on Jesus. Let's just like look at the behaviors. We're talking about behaviors and practices. Let's all look together because I, I, I got to be honest about this too. Okay, and it can be actually really hard to live, behave in a way where we are centering our lives on Jesus. There's a lot of other, if I can use this, this scripture from, from the Bible, we're going to read this in a second. There's a lot of other kingdoms that we can center our life on. A lot of other things that we can put over and above. I mean, fantasy football could be your kingdom. I don't understand that one, but okay. Some of you do. But there's so many things, and that's a silly one, but you know, some, sometimes even something like an addiction can become a kingdom that we center our life on. And sometimes people are so broken and sick that, that they're, they're stuck centering their life on this addiction. Sometimes political ideology becomes our kingdom. And we're so centered on a set of specific beliefs, a set of partisan policies, whatever it might be. And, and, and we're so fixated on that that we've centered our lives on that kingdom. Sometimes personal success or career or wealth or something like that can be a kingdom that we center our lives around. You know, we're, we live in America. We live in Western society. We all are taught to be really good capitalists. Like, go make money. We, we're actually raised in a society to center our lives on making money. And some of us get really good at it, and some of us are not really good at it. And we look at those, oh, those poor people, they're not very successful. And we look at these people, and I'm like, wow, they're great. So depending on what even a culture or society values, we start behaving and centering our practice around those things. You all following me? Okay. Chronic illness, believe it or not, can become something you center your life on. I, I've prayed for people to be healed. I know people who've prayed for people to be healed. And, and they're so fixated. Their, their sickness and, and chronic illness has become such a part of their identity that they don't know who they are apart from being sick and the attention they get from being sick. And that's a, a thing. They, they've got to actually give up the benefit that that chronic illness has given them in their life if they want to break out of that kingdom. Our families, believe it or not, I mean, I love my kids, I love my wife, but our families can become a kingdom that we center our lives on. And, and they can become something we, we obsess over. And something that they, we will go, oh, no, no, this, this matters more than anything else. Of course, it's very important, but, but we're, we can often throw our weight behind these lesser kingdoms in an effort to get some kind of success. And when this happens, imagine now everyone in our church community, we've all got our own little kingdoms. We've all got the things that we are practicing and behaving and living out, right? And it's like, we've got these people over here, they're, they're really valuing this little kingdom and they're, they're going in this direction. And then these people over here, they're going in this direction. And these people over here are going in this, and I'm going over here in this way. And then my, this person, you see what I'm saying? 
and, and when we're not all centered on the same thing or the same person, our practices and our behaviors are all over the place. And the challenge for you and I is, is we need to learn together how to lay down our old kingdoms, the old things that we have centered our lives on. The very first disciples of Jesus struggled with this, just like you and I do. They did not have this figured out. Even after Jesus was raised from the dead and he spends 40 days with them, this is where we find ourselves in this passage in Acts chapter 1. They're here and they're still confused about which kingdom is Jesus' kingdom and which kingdom is their kingdom. So let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, and see what Jesus says to them. Verse 6 says this, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly appeared among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let's pray before we continue. Jesus, I, I pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear, a heart to know and understand what it is you want to teach us today. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, Jesus has been with his disciples for 40 days since he's been raised from the dead. This is amazing. They're seeing this incredible thing. He's preparing now to return to the Father in heaven. This is what's known in theology as the ascension. This is when Jesus is leaving to be enthroned alongside the Father. And he would be Lord of heaven and earth. He would be Lord of the universe. And he was totally in charge now. I love how one writer puts it. He's going to be now at the control center of the universe. This dude's in charge. And, and so they know this is coming. And, and his disciples, they're, they're really good Bible students. They know the Old Testament. That's the only Bible they had. And they, they understand that Jesus, the Christ, the, the Messiah, they, they knew what this person was supposed to be for their people, Israel. And so they're so excited. So they say, are you going to restore our kingdom to us now? They're ready to go. They're like, oh man, this is the moment. We're so excited. We did all the stuff. We, we survived that scattering when he was killed. He's been risen back to life. We're like, take that, Pharisees. Take that, Rome. Take that, all of you. We're coming back on top. We're going to get our nation back. We're going to overthrow Rome. 
We're going to establish the right way to live. We're going to show everyone now how it's supposed to be done. Is it time now, Jesus? They're ready. The, the zealots, there's a mix of disciples. Some of these zealots were, were uh, rebels and, and, and fighters fighting against Rome, probably sharpening their knives like, I am ready. I'm ready. Let's go. They're, they're, they could not believe what they are about to. And they, they know, like, we're going to help rule this whole thing. This is incredible. And Jesus kind of deflects the question. He kind of splits them down the middle because they still just don't get it, man. They are still wanting Jesus to bless and sanction their kingdom. Will you now restore our kingdom, it says. Are you going to give us back the thing we want the most? They were still centered on other things and not Jesus. See, these are good Jewish people. They're devout Israelites. They, they know what the Messiah is supposed to do, or at least they think they do. But here's the thing. The world that they have lived in has taught them that the only hope they have of seeing change in the world is to get on top, to be in charge, to take back what's rightfully theirs. They need to, if needed, use violence, but it'll be in Jesus's name. So it's okay. You see, their personal kingdom, they, they felt needed to be realized. They, there's a little bit, and many commentators and biblical scholars have seen this. This, this isn't uh, Pastor Andrew making this up. Uh, there, there's a, a sense of kind of an ethnocentrism that they have. We're Jews and we're better than everyone else. There's, there's some nationalistic, militaristic tones that are in this. Our kingdom is going to be established. We're going to do it and we're going to show everyone how it's done. And the problem with this, and Jesus knows this, and the problem with this is any time we start having a picture of God as belonging to us instead of us belonging to God, things, things get backwards. You see, see they, they thought of God and Jesus now as you are Israel's Messiah. Like you're, you belong to us. They wanted to keep Jesus in their, their little space to help them with their kingdom and their agenda and their things. And, and Jesus is going to flip that on its head because they're not there to, to belong. God's not there to belong to Israel. Israel belongs to God. And as I said, any time we begin to picture God as too personally tied to our own agenda, problems start to develop. Because we're at the center. We haven't put Jesus at the center. So this, this is why... You know, we're, Jesus isn't actually in charge in that situation. We are. And, and, and when you're at the center, you can kind of rationalize any action you want because, well, well, God's on my side. God's here for my kingdom. He's here to establish my kingdom. This is what they were doing in Acts. We, we've made kind of Jesus a poster boy for whatever our agenda is. Are you all following me? You alive this morning? Okay. Is it just because it's rainy or? Okay. So, so this is exactly, if you think through history, this is what happened in the Crusades, right? We're going to make Jesus the poster boy for, for our agenda. He's going to help us establish our kingdom. 
This is what happened in, in Germany in the 20s and 30s. Millions and millions of devout Lutherans, faithful church attenders, faithful Bible readers, raised their right arms to say, Heil Hitler, and help create the Holocaust. This is what even happens in the United States when there's, there's violence. The, the, the January 6th riots and, and protests at the Capitol. I don't know if you've seen pictures, if you ever remember seeing pictures of, of violence being perpetrated and there's signs up saying Jesus saves at the same time. But you see, when we, when we make God our thing for our personal kingdom... It makes sense. You can rationalize any of these situations. But it's not just political. Those are the, those are the big, kind of obvious, drastic ones. But this happens in my career. I, I want Jesus to bless and sanction my career choice. Help me, Jesus. I, I want to have better relationships. Help me, Jesus. I want to raise my kids better. Help me, Jesus. Now we go, wait, isn't that a good thing to do? Absolutely. But what Jesus wants to do is he doesn't want us to start with, will you come fix my kingdom, Jesus? Because then it's about our kingdom still. What Jesus wants us to do is lay down our kingdoms. He wants us to lay down our kingdoms, whatever the kingdom. And he, he wants to say, I want to invite you into this, but I want you to see that I am Lord. That it's not your kingdom or that person's kingdom. This is why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Yeah, you can have much more healthy relationships and raise your kids better if you make Jesus Lord. But if you start there, you make your kids Lord. Jesus helps us work out all of these difficult things in our, in our lives. But if we start with fix my problem... We miss the point. Are you all with me? Okay. I'll stop asking. I'm sorry. So all of this is happening here. And, and, and Jesus is like, I'm not here to fix your kingdom. It's not for you to know what I'm going to do here in this, in this social situation that you're in. But here's what he tells him. You need to know this. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses to the entire world. See, here's what's happening. We're, we're missing a lot of times in church. We, we, we start looking at our personal agenda. Jesus, fix this, fix this, fix this. I want to go after this. Here's my kingdom. Jesus, I want, to, I want you to sanction and bless my kingdom. When we're doing all that, we're missing the reality that Jesus is Lord of the world. We're missing the reality. So, all of this stuff about our personal kingdoms happens because we can't see that Jesus is actively, I want you to hear that word, he's actively reigning and ruling right now in this room, in your household, on your street, in your workplace, in the school. Wherever you are, Jesus is reigning and he's Lord. Be, but it's hard for us to see because I'm like, man, how can he possibly be ruling? There, there's so much brokenness and injustice everywhere I turn. You guys know what I'm talking about. 
So, so there's one school of thought that tries to figure that out. Say, well, how can this be possible? There's one school of theological thought that says, well, Jesus is like the founder of Christianity. And they mean that in that he did launch this, but, but they mean that in the sense of like the founder of a company. We're just going to kind of carry on the spirit of Jesus and we're going to, but, but it's really us that has to make this happen. That founders long ago, we're going to have to innovate. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to do all of these things. Because Jesus was a good starting point, but like, you know, now we've got to take this on ourselves. And whenever you and I have to take things on ourselves, it's kind of messy. We haven't done too great of a job when we take things on ourselves. There's another idea very similar to it. Jesus is just an idea. There's some theologians uh, that, that would, came to say, like in the early 1900s, like, we don't even need Jesus to be real. We just need the idea of Jesus. And if we have the idea of Jesus, we can just kind of all foster goodwill towards each other and do the best we can. But that hasn't worked out too well either. But what's missing is a realization on the part of the church that Jesus is right now actively at work reigning in our lives. And that's why Jesus says what he says. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of the presence of Jesus with us, the church. And when Jesus, his presence is centered, our behavior and our practices are focused on that reality, then we can allow Jesus to rule in the relationship issues. We can allow Jesus to rule in the workplace issues. We can allow Jesus to reign where there's conflict. It means that every bit of brokenness and sickness can be submitted to Jesus, the healer. It means that political divisiveness that defines so much of our culture can get submitted under his lordship and we can see miraculous forgiveness and reconciliation. It it means that financial needs that come up in the community can be met in miraculous ways because we've learned how to submit all our material possessions to Jesus for his use. It means that we can come out of the rat race of our overbooked schedules and trust that he's in control and we don't have to do everything. It means every injustice will be dealt with and every wrong will be righted. You see, because Jesus is reigning and his spirit is at work through his church, he's bringing everything, whether it's a big issue or a small issue, he is bringing it to its conclusion at the end of history where he will return, just like the angel said. I'm coming back. You're going to work this out now, but there's going to come a day where every one of these issues of sickness, illness, brokenness, injustice, divisiveness, everything is going to be settled by me. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies under his feet. A list of things I just mentioned were some of his enemies. And, and it says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue's going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So great. Okay, that's coming at the end of the history. Like, what do we do until then? I'm like, as he said, we don't know what's going to happen. What do we do? D- does, does some of that list of what God is going to accomplish and what he's working out sound good to you? Some of it sounds good to you. Okay, that's good. If it doesn't sound good to you and you're like, no, I like divisiveness. I'm happy with this. 
I prefer to have my sickness. I, thank you. I'm, I'll keep injustice. Thank you. I'm being facetious. I'm joking with you a little bit. But, but if those things sound good, does that sound hopeful? Does that sound like a good future? I'm really asking. No, thanks, Jersey. No. It's a good future. Here's the good news is all of that stuff that Jesus will bring to a completion at the end, Jesus is inviting people every single day to live in that reality now. That's what the church is. It's a community that's doing this now, and we're pointing to the ultimate finisher of all things. We're doing it now, and we're working it out because he's reigning now, but then he's going to come and bring it to completion. That's what the church is. We're a people already living in this reality because we've laid down our own kingdoms to be a Christ-centered people. This is just like fantasy football. The reality of Jesus as Lord starts by when it occupies the behavior and the practices of our lives in a different way. And people go, that's different. Not because they said a different thing or they say they believe something different intellectually. They're behaving different. They are practicing different. Their life is centered on something. You know when someone's life centered on fantasy football. And they're saying, these are, these are people who are Christ-centered. I don't like them necessarily all the time, but I see that they're Christ-centered. Now, my question here, church, family, is do you want to live in this reality together? Do you, do you want to be a witness together for West Milford? for Warwick, for Ringwood, for the other communities that we're in. A witness to say Jesus is Lord and this is how he's working it out in this new community, the church. So if we're going to be a Christ-centered people, a witness to the world that Jesus is Lord of all, if we're going to be that kind of people, we need to lay down our earthly kingdoms. Because as long as we hold that kingdom, we cannot step into the reality that Jesus is Lord of all. And I don't need to hold on to this little kingdom of mine. So I want to leave you with two questions and we're going to have some space for reflection before we take communion together. The question I want to leave you to reflect on for a few minutes is simply this. Two questions. What kind of kingdom or kingdoms am I hoping Jesus will fix, bless, or sanction? And the second question is, what would it look like to lay these kingdoms down and make Jesus Lord? I want you to wrestle with this for a few minutes because we need to lay down our earthly kingdoms. Before we can come to the table, we need to reflect on the ways that we have been centered on our kingdoms instead of be centered on Jesus and his kingdom. So by way of preparing to take communion, uh, we'll take communion in, in just a few minutes. I, I want to just leave a few minutes for reflection. Lindsay, if you wouldn't mind just coming to play during this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. 
For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So with this in mind, we want to make space to reflect, to examine ourselves before we take communion together. We'll leave these questions up. And as a community, let's take five minutes. We have space, we have time in the service before we take communion and worship and reflect, what are the kingdoms that have just been coming up? What might the Lord be asking me to lay down? What sins do I need to repent of in light of the kingdoms that I've been holding on to? Let's take some time to reflect before the Lord as we prepare to take communion. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.